0: This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Sesser. For a full year, we've been looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. Ben, we're up to week 40 out of 52. That's pretty good, right?
1: Well, yeah, I'm not sure what the listening audience, their perspective on that, but Yeah, we've done 40 now, or this is the
0: 40th. If you've been listening and you've made it to week 40, you only have 12 to go. Right, until next year. Make it to the finish line. That's right. Make it to the finish line. Jesus made it to the finish line, right? Right. He made it to the finish line. So we'll be looking, of course, we're in the middle of the Holy Week time period with Jesus. And let's kind of recall that a little bit on the Sunday Prior to his crucifixion, on the Sunday was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Monday was the cleansing of the temple. On Tuesday, he did some teaching at the temple. We looked at that last week, and we're doing that again this week. So we let's just jump in right there. And we're going to have a pretty good topic today. It's death and taxes. Your favorite two topics, right, Ben? Right. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin said, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes, and in this week's podcast, Jesus covers both. So way to to go, Jesus, on on that. You know, there's a lot of controversy. We'll start with taxes. We're in Matthew 22, for those who want to follow along. A lot of controversy always goes on around taxes. We find it's not a new thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's not just a Roman thing. It's an everybody thing, I suppose, that governments— need money to do government and there's always this desire for the government to use somebody else's money to be the government to do the governmental things that they do and you hear it every election cycle there's controversy over whether taxes should should rise or decrease whether it should be on one class of people or another class of people whether there should be a flat tax there's all these things that always go around it's kind of comforting to know that it's not a new thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So, yeah, taxes so, have always been an issue. You're,
0: you know, the clergy taxes are a little bit strange in the way they're laid out in the U.S. and and the kind of things that we have to do. Are you a master of that? Do you figure out your own. Do you you have a somebody that helps you guys figure out your taxes. <laughs> I know I.
1: No, I could not figure it out if I tried to. I've got somebody, uh, an accountant friend, um, who does our taxes uh, for us. Uh, though right now the Indiana Department of Revenue, they apparently are struggling to figure out my taxes. Uh, not the fault of my accountant, but they can't even figure out why. They just recently sent notice that our uh, that our submission was wrong, and then they retracted that. And they can't figure out why they uh, sent us a letter telling us our submission was wrong. But now they want more documents, seemingly for no reason. (laughs) To prove that you
0: weren't wrong when they acknowledged you were wrong. Right. I don't know. Well, now that we've (laughs) spoken that, the Indiana Department of Revenue will be probably showing up at your door or at this next podcast recording. We're not sure which one, right? Right. Right. It's always been a concern of people, I think. like. We don't want to pay taxes, but we want the things that taxes do to a degree. We want some of them. Probably very few people agree with everything that their government would do with taxes. And the same thing was true back in the day. So in Jesus' day, there was an imperial tax that had to be paid to the Roman Caesar in order for the Romans to continue to occupy the land where Jesus and his disciples were, which we now know as the land of Israel. They didn't like this. They didn't want to pay taxes, and there was a lots of corruption. Uh, that's not a new thing either, corruption with taxes. So there was a a group of people that decided they were going to come after Jesus. We're in Matthew 22, verse 15, and it begins with this group of people called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, we've talked about them in the past, are are kind of a sect or a group of religious leaders in the land, in, in Israel, who really were dedicated to the law. By the law, that I mean the biblical law, in particular, the first five books of the Bible. But in order to understand how to live out the law in the Pentateuch, those first five books, They developed a whole bunch of other laws, laws to understand laws, laws to interpret laws, laws to make sure you didn't violate any of the laws. So that was sort of their shtick. And there was another group called the Herodians, and they were fine to a degree with Roman taxes because they loved the benefits. They were just the opposite. Whereas the Pharisees wanted to be very spiritually pure, the Herodians they were like all about it. I mean, they loved the modern. Privileges that Roman society, that Greek culture brought to them, and they were enjoying all of it. So needless to say, these Pharisees and Herodians did not get along in culture, but they had a common enemy, the enemy of my enemy. They had a common enemy, and that was Jesus. So we see in Matthew 22, 15, it says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So here we have a group of Pharisees and a group of Herodians, people who do not agree with each other at all, coming as a, a new group, a unified group, to trap Jesus in his words. It's interesting that Jesus is always having to deflect different groups and explain himself around them. I don't know if this was the first time these two groups got together. I don't recall another time when when these two groups got together to come at him as a unified force, but Jesus really kind of had a difficult time, didn't he? I mean, having to figure out how to navigate these various groups with their own political and social agendas, and nothing's changed, has it? No,
1: no, it hadn't.
0: So these two groups, they came together and they said, teacher. We know that you are a man of integrity, a little flattery never hurts, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Which is interesting because the, the Pharisees in particular wanted everybody to pay attention to who they were. Goes on in verse 17 Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? What is behind this question, do you think, Ben, and what's the trap they're trying to lay for him?
1: Uh, Ultimately, trying to set Jesus against uh, the Roman rule. And so while the Pharisees didn't like the, the Romans, the religious leaders also needed the support of the Romans in order to arrest Jesus in order to crucify Jesus. And so they're trying to set Jesus up, um, that not only is he living in opposition to, uh, the, the religious leaders, but he's living in opposition uh, to the Romans as well.
0: So Jesus is being trapped, but he recognizes it right away. And in verse 18, he respond. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, one of the coins, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. What does Jesus' response teach us about how we live in a community of faith, but we also live in a community of our culture? our government, wherever we're we're listening to this, everybody has some other authorities in life. What's Jesus speaking to here that we can apply to our lives today?
1: I think first our need as followers of Christ, um, to be, uh, to live out his kingdom ethic, uh, here in this world. I think oftentimes we get, So trapped into uh, the conversations and the arguments that exist within our world that we oftentimes don't think about how our citizenship ultimately in God's kingdom um, guides us through those arguments, through those conversations. And so, like, when we think about taxes, do we, you know, we don't want some oppressive uh, tax burden? by any means, and yet recognizing the necessity of taxes as well uh, for the sake of government function, for the sake of helping those uh, who are in need, for the sake of, uh, of uh, you know, I mean, even, I mean, I think about the, the taxes that go to help fund uh, the military in our context. And so while taxes are a necessity, oftentimes I think we become overly burdened, overly focused on um, what we view or, or see as uh, oppressive, rather than hyper focused on how am I being a revelation of God's kingdom here on this earth? Because my first, my, my first uh, recognized citizenship. It's um, probably a better way to phrase that. But I am first and foremost a citizen of God's eternal kingdom not of this world. And so first and foremost, I've got to process everything through
0: that. So that, but that doesn't exempt us from paying taxes as citizens, nor do taxes exempt us from being generous as followers of Christ to the church, to uh, others who are in need. It doesn't remove the tithe, right? giving a 10th of all we have as a A starting point, by the way, right? Not as an ending point, but as a starting point for the body of Christ, the local church, to have effective ministry in the world. But you add these together, and it becomes a chunk of money for people in in real time because you get your tax money, you get your tithe money, and it's a large percentage of the income we receive. And it's it's a challenge that people have to walk through in their lives how do you walk through it i think you
1: know not to be cliche about this but by keeping my eyes on christ money is not my god money is not my functional idol it's not the thing that i am going to be most burdened by uh, in life uh, my burden is to carry out the great commission that god has that that christ has universally placed upon all believers which is to go and make disciples of all nations that is that is my uh, goal, that is my role uh, in this world, and an aspect of that is, to your point, it's, you know, the the good gifts that God has given us, financially or otherwise, are a means for the sake of his glory. And so I think so often our hearts get captured by what we believe um, is being taken from us sometimes, uh, rather than our hearts being captured by what Christ has done for us and
0: living out that. Yeah. We're, we're here to expend our lives, not to accumulate. We're here to, I've often said, I want to retire one day before I become irrelevant. Right. And I want to die one day before I spend my last dollar. I don't know that I can map out my life exactly so neatly, but our life is not about how much we can get and keep but how much we can receive to give away. And it's a different way of thinking. I think Jesus may be hinting at this when he said, render to Caesar. I mean, give, give to the government, You get, pay your taxes, but don't forget to give to God what is God's. Yeah. That's, first of all, your life, right? Yeah. Well, this topic, you know, dying one day before I spend my last dollar, Jesus, it, he talks about death in the very next verse of Matthew 22. Now we're in verse 23 to 33. In verse 23, that same day, the Sadducees, okay, hard stop. This is a completely different group than we've already talked about, whereas the Pharisees were very interested in in piety and keeping the the law of God and adding laws upon laws upon laws. And whereas the Herodians, they didn't care about that. They just cared about pleasure. Like, let's have a good time. Let's enjoy all of these modern changes that the Roman government through Greek culture has brought to us. The Sadducees were different. They, they were a very corrupt group. They were, they were interested in power, and they, they kept their religious power by the Roman government being there, being present and keeping the people in check, and then they had all kinds of corrupt practices that they did, and we've, we've seen that when Jesus enters the temple and turns over their money tables and all those things. So it's another group of people who's now going to come for a new attack on Jesus right away. That same day, it says, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, question Jesus about the resurrection. Not exactly what it says, but that's what's going on here. They, these guys don't even believe in life after death, and they're going to question Jesus about life after death. Again, the whole thing is just a, a ruse. It's it's a trap to get him. He, they, The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. All right. That's a kind of a weird thought for our modern world, and that's sort of how they allowed their culture to not leave the widows High and dry, who had no other means of making income in their day. Perhaps some other things were were tied up into that as well. But I don't I don't know if I if I went to my wife and I said, Hey, by the way, you know, if I if I die, um, one of my bros is gonna be standing in line. That's probably not the way that would work. I know that's not the way that would work in our family. I. I venture to say, in yours as, as well, um, kind of a strange. It's kind of a strange picture, isn't it?
1: it? It it is, and uh, yeah, I could I can hear my wife's response in my head right now. As well as if your brother
0: died, you. Well, you know. Yeah. So the whole thing's very bizarre to us, as we think about it. But it's simply how they. Preserved life and and cared for the widows because they really widows had no means of making income if they weren't married, except for begging or prostitution, and so this provided for them and provided for their family. So in this make believe scenario, the Sadducees are are pinning Jesus to the wall. They think, and he they they give a story, verse twenty five. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. You know, if I'm the fourth brother at that time, I might be a begging out. but (laughs) all seven of those guys died and I'd be having somebody else taste the soup. I'm not sure what's going on. She's the widow maker. (laughs) So, but verse 27, finally, the woman died. And their make-believe story, now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. Since all of them were married to her. now These guys don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe in eternal life. They don't believe in any of this. And I don't think they're asking for their own edification, are they?
1: No. No, again, they're just trying to, to root uh, Jesus out, to try to expose some error. Uh, some error in teaching, um, trying to reveal some contradiction in, in what, uh, in the teaching that he has uh, given. And uh, there's there's moments, there's a couple of moments, which is uh, beautiful in some other passages where the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection, uh, Jesus plays the Sadducees against the Pharisees brilliantly, much as he played the Herodians really against the Pharisees a second ago.
0: Yeah. So he's, he's, Jesus understands what their game is. And he replies in verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. What a statement. These are, these are the people who ran the temple in Jerusalem. They were in charge. All of the chief priests came from the Sadducees. And when he looks at them and says, you guys don't even know the scriptures, you don't even know the power of God. This is is a couple days before he gets arrested. So Jesus knows what's going on, and he doesn't dodge it. He doesn't run from it. He looks at his accusers and speaks the truth that they're just playing sort of a a religious game that he attacks. He says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Verse 30, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. All right. There's some stuff in here. A couple things. One of those is, it's a wonderful life, isn't it? So do we turn into angels? No. Do we get wings? No. Have we
1: had this conversation before? It's like Uh, one of my, you know, it's one of those things where I don't go at people for this, but it's, it is, I mean, admittedly it is like nails on a chalkboard to me when somebody makes the comment. And again, not maliciously, sometimes it's just out of, out of ignorance or some cultural ideal or idea of what the afterlife is for folks. But no, we do not turn into angels. We are a separate piece of God's creative brilliance. And so, yeah, when we die, we, we do not get our proverbial wings.
0: But this passage says they will be like the angels in heaven in what way. And we've said in what way, not. In what way? Uh, from an, an eternal
1: standpoint, uh, we will go on. We will live eternally uh, with God uh, like, the, like the angels. Um, but again, we do not become
0: angels. Yeah, we'll be given new bodies, the Bible says. Okay, yep. now there's this other piece here that's super interesting. People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. One of the most comforting things that people say to one another at the time of death is, you will be reunited someday. You'll be together again someday. the The picture that we often have is that when we get to heaven, it, it's kind of like extended earth. And what we we enjoy on earth, we'll enjoy forever in heaven. And who we enjoy it with, we will enjoy it with forever. So, is Jesus saying that if you, I say, you marry somebody in your youth, you stay married for sixty five years, and you, and you both are believers and you die and you go to heaven, you're not married anymore. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's what he's saying. I think, yeah, two things. Number one, the infinite joy of heaven is being united, uh, to Christ for all, for all of eternity. Um, I know oftentimes we have this picture. We, we actually contrive a vision of heaven especially in the Western world, that is pretty much a, a utopian vision of life, whether it's aligned with what God says eternity is going to be like or not. Um, the other side of that, the other point uh, in that is that we, will, will we, though, see those who are in Christ uh, in heaven? Will we spend eternity with them? Yes, but the, uh, that dynamic will be different. And so while my, my wife is my wife, she's also my sister in Christ. And to that end, um, you know, we will share eternity together, but it will not be as husband and wife. That relationship will be different.
0: Someone asked me, uh, once asked me, do dogs go to heaven? And I said, well, I, I don't know. And they said, well, do cats go to heaven? And I said, No. I don't know where that speaks about my theology, but it speaks about my view of cats. So, uh, well, now that I'm in hot water with half of America, uh, verse 31, Jesus says, but at the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, these patriarchs from the book of Genesis. He is not, Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. God is interested in life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at Jesus' teaching. So Jesus really responds to both of these accusations, one about trying to trap him on paying taxes, and then trying to trap him about talking about, Relationships in heaven, and he he responded them both such a way that people were amazed, and second one they were astonished, but he didn't he didn't answer the questions in the way they were hoping to answer it so they could nail him to the wall on it, but it, there's a lot of insight in his answers that help us to understand him, and understand values and priorities about this Christian journey a little bit better, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think two two big takeaways is that one, uh, money is not my functional God. Money is not the idol that controls my life. Christ is, and to that end, my spouse is also not my functional God. You know, and I am not her functional God, and so uh, our our life is to be lived in submission uh, to Jesus Christ, and that's a huge aspect of these two uh, these two passages and what they reveal. Uh, to us is that our life is bound up in God's will, God's
0: desire uh, for us. That's well, well said. Well, there's a little light topic today, death and taxes. Next time, we're going to look at time and money. Jesus talks about two things that really define how we live life together. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org. Or our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. That'll take you to more elements in this year long study of the life of Jesus. There's a bunch of them. You can just jump in where you are, even though we're drawing toward the end. If you haven't started, just start now. We'll see you next time.